Welcome into the Chatter Podcast. We are recording on a Monday night. Happy Independence Day to everyone. As the big day is almost here. Get ready to grill out with your buddies. Have yourself some white claws. Definitely wear your sunscreen. It's been hot and sun strong this time of the year. But what a week it is. What a show we have for you today. Don't forget the true meaning of Independence Day and what it means to this country. It's my favorite time of the year because of one thing. That is the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest as Joey Chestnut looks to once again clip the mustard yellow belt around his bloated gut. It's a big week for those eaters at the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest. Joey Chestnut looking to win once again. Yeah, no, that's um, you're a little bit more experienced in the professional uh, eating world than I am. I do know our guy Joey Chestnut. I remember Kobayashi. Um, I remember the guy that paints his face red and blue and jumps in there and eats significantly less than either of those two. But is Kobayashi even, is he still doing it? I know he used to be the alpha and I think Chestnut just outdogged him. And they, I haven't, I'm not sure if he's still out there. I don't think I caught the last couple. He's out there. He's waiting in the wings. So here's kind of the history behind it. For those of you that aren't too familiar with the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, or the National Eating Association, what is that? Teffer's going to have to fact check whatever their actual association is. But Kobayashi, from 2001 to 2006, was the best eater out there. He was the, the Michael Jordan of hot dog eating and of any eating in general. And then in 2005, we were introduced to a guy named Joey Chestnut when he ate 32 hot dogs. And for those of you that don't know, 32 hot dogs is not very many at all. That probably put him at like fourth or fifth in the competition. Kobayashi's eaten like 60 at this point. Then, just a few years later in 2007, I don't know if any PEDs were used by Joey Chestnut in this time. That's the only thing I could think of. But 2007, he eats 66 dogs to Kobayashi's 53, finally knocks him off, and Kobayashi no longer the king of the block. Since then... Joey Chestnut has won it every year, but 2015, when a guy named Matt Stoney came out of nowhere and pulled off a UMBC over Virginia, 62 dogs to just 60 for Joey Chestnut, but Chestnut has hopped back on his horse and has done what he's always done, and that is absolutely dominate. Kobayashi, meanwhile, though, he will not sign a contract with Major League Eating, so he can't compete in any of these, but we've seen him up on roofs from time to time over the years doing his own little one on like chat roulette or on periscope and he's eating hot dogs up there and beats them so is this like essentially like a like a a rapper trying to go independent refusing to sign with a label i'm just confused on what why won't he sign with the whatever the major I assume there's not that many other leagues out there i don't think it's like oh i'm going to go play in europe if you're like you don't want to play in the nba like a miritich it, what what is his end goal? Why won't he sign? Do you have any intel on that? I don't know, but these guys aren't making that much money. That's the ridiculous thing. I mean, Julius Randle is making sixty mil, and he's you know pretty solid at his craft, way well above average, but you know not elite by any means. And then Joey Chestnut, he's only racked up six hundred k in his entire career. He's eaten thousands upon thousands of hot dogs. He's only racked up how much? 600,000. That's it. 
Uh, wow. Well, they're vastly underpaid. That's without endorsements. That's just through his actual earnings from eating all these hot dogs. But it's ridiculous. These guys, they're putting on 24 pounds during a contest. It's got to be unhealthy as hell. I mean, you look at Chestnut out there. He looks like he's going to perish at any second. I mean, that's truly incredible. I don't even know. First off, how did he jump from 30 to 70 dogs? I know you said PEDs. I mean, I don't know if that even does anything because these guys aren't in the best shape ever. I remember Kobayashi had like a 12-pack while he was eating like 60 hot dogs, which I maybe that should be a new diet, just the the straight-up you know Oscar Mayer diet, just rip 60 dogs a day. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we're dealing with a cork stomach. Is that a thing? Uh, I don't understand how you could possibly jump from, I don't eh, maybe if you did it every, you know, maybe if I started fucking eating like, I ate 10 dogs today, 12 dogs tomorrow, 15. I mean, how many do you think you could really get if you tried? Realistically, you tried. before I like threw up, I think maybe 15 dogs tops. And that's what's so crazy about this sport and how vastly under, how underpaid he is for the event that's actually put on. I mean, you look at these guys, you look at your average golfer, and I'm talking guys that think they're pretty good. They hang out around the country club. They're shooting in the low 80s or the, the high 70s in golf, whatever. You got professionals out there that are shooting 70s. You know, there's there's not that much disparity sometimes between your pretty good golfer and your average of the pack golfer in a PGA Tour event or something like that. But in these, I mean, I, I hold my own on the battlefront that is known as the cafeteria and I could probably eat about 15 dogs in 10 minutes, maybe 20 tops, and that's a ton. And this guy's racking down. The over-under right now is set at 73 and a half. I mean, if you think about the level of competition they're involved with, too, it's not like your typical sport. I mean, everybody in the world eats, most, most people, you know, and especially the United States, they eat every day. They're eating multiple meals a day. And that's his competition, just people that eat. You know, typical guys aren't playing basketball every day into their 40s. So the the amount of competition is a little bit lower for these professional athletes. It, the eaters, they're competing against every normal guy that eats every day. So I, I think that's something you got to look at. And um, I, I hope they start to at least raise the salary cap. I mean, look at these NBA guys. Um, that money, I think, should trickle down to some of these, you know, incredible eaters that we've seen. Well, I think one of my favorite things about the National Eating Association or whatever the hell it was. I, I forget the name already. They have like a minor league farm system. You know how in baseball you're in high A and then you're trying to get to double A, triple A, climb the ladder. In basketball, maybe you start in the G League, you start in college, whatever. You rise to the top. Here, you know, Nathan's, it's the Mecca. You're at Coney Island. You're in front of thousands upon thousands of fans on a primetime TV audience. But these guys, they're working year-round. I mean, we're talking Rice Krispie Treat Contest. There's one, Matt Stoney. How about 255 peeps in five minutes in the Peeps World Championship? 255 of those freaking marshmallow bunnies. Peeps suck ass, so that's actually impressive. And I remember watching, uh, watching uh, what was it, Made MTV, and they did that, and like the guy was trying to get into the hot dog one. He's like, well, he's like, on Tuesday, I'm in a pickle-eating contest. He's like, and then on uh, Wednesday, we're doing carrots. He's like, and then I'm doing bratwurst on Thursday. Um, you know, I'm eating nuggets on, you know, Friday. This this dude was lined up with, like, the most random-ass food groups ever. And there, it's, like, always at, like, some state fair. And they just hammer down, like, you know, 6,000 Twinkies. And they just keep going from food group to food group. It's, it's, a, wild, uh, it's a wild career path. I'll say that. Can you imagine, like, 
telling your parents like, yeah, I quit broadcasting. I'm actually going to just start professionally eating peeps from now on. I mean, Chestnut, he's racked up 600K in his career. I mean, think of how many times I've been watching this guy since I was in middle school dominate this, the mecca, the the biggest platform in the sport. How much do you think this guy's earning for eating 85 moon pies in eight minutes? Like 25 bucks? They're just like, I mean, you guys, Tony. <laughs> Here's a bottle of Pepto to go along with it. The thing is, <laughs> the thing is, you got That's like gross profit too. You got to think when this guy's training, he goes to the grocery. He's going no less than like six hundred dollars for a week of groceries, because you know when you get your typical like you get your like pound of ground turkey. This dude gets you know forty six pounds of ground turkey, four thousand wings, and that just gets him to Wednesday. So you got to look at the, the price of the food that he's doing. I mean, this guy's probably losing money. I think they make them pay for their own hot dogs when they go up there too. And the fact that, I mean, it is quite a scene to see these guys eat. It's so disgusting. They they just dunk all their food in just to a, a glass of water and just shove it down their throat. Like chestnut looks like he's like, like a, like a mama bird, like chewing up the food to like, let his kids eat it out of his mouth. It's so gross. I, I honestly, kudos to him, I guess. I'm not willing to do it. It's 4th of July, Houdini. Give me your thoughts on the old fireworks. I mean, I don't hate fireworks, but I don't I don't love them. I mean, it, are they not the most overrated thing in, in all of the holiday season? I guess you could say if you count 4th of July as a holiday. I mean, people post their, to Snapchat and Instagram, just their fireworks as if everyone else doesn't see the same goddamn fireworks that they're posting. And it'll be like a 50-second like, check out these fireworks. It's a bomb exploding in the air that is literally happening across the entire country. I I don't know if what's worse, a, a concert that somebody posts or their fireworks. I might even say fireworks. Well, I'm glad you brought up the social media posting because this one's been eating at me for a while. I have a new rule. This becomes effective immediately. Enough. Enough of the social media posting. And look, I used to be as bad as anyone. Some people... Probably used to see my account and say, this guy sucks. Now they say, why doesn't Chuck post anymore? Because we don't care as human beings. Everyone gets one post. I I was in Mexico. I get one post of the beach. I can maybe throw that on Snapchat too. And then the next day, if it's a new setting, if I'm somewhere else, I get one post of that setting. But I'm so tired of seeing these same posts over and over. Know a guy that just went to Mexico and hell... He posted about 19 pictures of the same pool just every single day. We get it, dude. You're in Mexico. You're by the pool bar. Go have some fun. Quit showing off, showboating. Like I said, I was there once. I look back at myself, and I was a doofus. And for all of you that are doing this now and posting all these different social media photos of your settings, no one cares. Put down the phone. Have some fun. You get one photo to rub it in, and then after that, put down the damn phone. There is, however, a glitch in my rule, and that's just do a bunch of different things, and then you get one post of a million things, and you can still have that five-minute Instagram story. But for all the people that are just you know, taking a picture of the beach, and then a video of the beach, and then a video of the beach where they turn their camera over to them and drink a strawberry daiquiri, no one gives a shit. Okay, we've seen it once. We don't want to see it again. You're ugly. Just give it up. As for the fireworks, they're okay. 
You know, after the Reds win, there's a fireworks show. I'm I'm not going to wait there for 20 minutes and wait for the pyro guys to come out and fire those things up, but they're all right. I will say this, though. When you buy your own fireworks, you go to Kentucky or Indiana, one of those states that sells the TNT, that's a different story. Those things are a blast. Yeah, there is something about buying fireworks, like in uh, when you're in Cincy and you have to go over to Kentucky to get the, or no, you have to go over to Indiana, excuse me. You had to go over to Indiana to get the fireworks. It, you almost feel like you're like part of the cartel. You go down there, get your fireworks, smuggle them back into the states, light them off. You have virtually you you don't even it, it's it does feel kind of risque when you just put a massive fucking mortar on completely uneven ground. You light that puppy on on fire. You have no idea if it's going to just tip over and blow up the entire neighborhood. That is a little bit fun. I will say that. Other than that, I'm pretty much out on fireworks. Um, as far as your social media rule, I don't hate it. Um, I did notice a new, I did want to bring that up to you, a new social media app that's pretty interesting. It's um, brand new. I don't know many people using it. It's literally called Pooped, okay? And all you do is every time you shit, you... Literally, it's like a little tag, and it goes down on the map. So it's like the United States map, and it shows little tags of where you shit. And then you leave a comment under it, and your buddies can comment on it, too. It basically just logs everywhere you've shit in the United States. And it puts a little, um, like, emoji, um, a bathroom emoji, puts it, like, say you're in, like, California, you take a shit there in, like, you know, San Jose. You'll have a little mark there. You'll have a, you know, mark in Ohio all over the place, Kentucky. And then your friends just get to know where you shit. I was in disbelief that this was an app. It's a real app. It's out there. It's literally called Pooped. And people comment on it like, oh, man, nice to see you're out in uh, L.A. this weekend. Like, let's link up after they saw that their buddy shit there. So it's a um, it's a newer concept. I think it's got a lot of legs. I think it has zero legs. I'm just trying to delete enough data off my phone to where I can use it properly. And some people are spending a couple gigabytes on Pooped. I mean... If you're in the state, you're going to poop. Every, no one goes to a different state, different country, different city, and doesn't take one poop while they're there. You never know. And at the same time, just because I'm you know, in Arkansas or something doesn't mean that you know I was there. And when you leave your mark, literally, by shitting in the state, you can put it on the app. Your friends know you were there. It's kind of um, you know, it's a, like a social thing a status thing. You get to let people know you shit all over the country. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. So it, uh, I don't know. I think in a few years it might be the new Instagram. I mean, we've been grinding on this podcast for months upon months. We've gone into the years department and some guy out there is making a living off pooped. Yeah. It's a genius idea. I don't know if, if necessarily the pooped is going to be the end all be all of this, uh, creation, Maybe something else where you tag where you've been and things like that. But I think the concept, I mean, this guy, this guy's some type of mad genius, man. It's a it's a good concept. I haven't downloaded it yet, um, but I've been looking at some of the, the features on there, and I'm pretty excited about it. I think this is probably mainly a male-dominated app, I would say. Uh, I don't know if I want to see my girlfriend. Oh, just, just, saw, just saw Sarah just shit all over the, the West Coast. That's pretty intri- intriguing check out what she's up to but yeah so i mean i don't know we'll see it's time for one of our favorite reoccurring segments that would be bring it back and throw it out houdini you took the floor last time so it's me i'm saying bring it back chat roulette 
do you remember? Oh, everybody knows what chat roulette is. Everybody. I mean, except for the the real young kids listening to it, the uh, the under 10 group that we do have a strong base on. They're not going to know what we're talking about. But yes, I, I know exactly what you're referring to. You'd come home after a long day of school. You'd hit the tab button. All of a sudden, the roulette board would start spinning and up would pop some guy from Germany. Good day, sir. That's terrible accent, but something along the lines of that. You'd be like, I don't want to talk to this guy. You'd spin it. All of a sudden, some cute girl would come on. She'd spin it away from you, and within two seconds, a, a penis would be on your screen. You'd be like, ah, whoa. It was one of the most dangerous apps out there because, I mean, let's be honest. Essentially, everybody was just hitting the chat roulette until somebody's dick would pop up. That was kind of the end goal. I mean, there was, I'd say, you know, conservatively, 20% of the people on chat roulette were just like guys in their 50s with their dicks in their hands. And they like, well, I don't know what their end game was. Like, oh, yep, there it is. Here's my dick. But it was... Um, what what demographic was it made for? Because it's still out there and people are using it. And obviously we as... I, I guess it was really popular when we, Hudson and I, are the same age. So I'd say about 15 years old. So we're using it for one reason, just to swipe through for the sheer comedy aspect when you're with a couple buddies. But there are people out there that were using it as a legit bumble before bumble. You know, they... They'd spin this chat roulette thing, and someone would come up, and they'd be like, hey, you want to go out to dinner? She'd be like, yeah, well, I'm in the Ukraine. He's like, fuck, I'm in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it really was. But it, it was uh, the guy who invented it, certainly, I don't think his his goal was just to have a bunch of 50-year-old men with their dicks in their hands. But, it, yeah, I think it was made for things like that to, quote-unquote, connect with the world, um, You know, maybe meet a soulmate. I'm sure there's somebody out there who met a soulmate. It was probably ended up just being two guys like that chat related themselves and they both had their dicks out. And then they ended up being like, all right, we obviously kind of come from the same cloth. So let's start dating. That's probably how most of that really happened. Just a bunch of 50 year old men that met through that way. I, I highly doubt any parents or whatever, or married couples listening to this. Uh, there's too many of them from chat roulette. It's still a thing, though. It's out there trying to compete against Tinder and Bumble. You haven't heard of it in just decades upon decades, but apparently people are using it. It's bigger than Blockbuster. It's bigger than Blockbuster. I mean, I, how about next week we download it again, get back on it, see what we got. Maybe it's a, a wholesome site these days. Who knows? I mean, Chris Hansen should have been all over Chat Roulette. That should have been his first gig before he did the How to Catch a Predator because... He should have just showed up to people's houses like, hey, Scott, do you realize you just showed your cock to, you know, 12 fourth graders that were over at their buddy's house just trying to chat roulette and see, you know, possibly a girl wearing a bikini and you just pulled out the the old guy and, and let them all see it. You're going to prison. I mean, that was the intention of, like I said, I mean, probably 20 percent of the people on there. It was a dangerous, dangerous time to be a young kid. My throw it out subjects were taught in school. I'm talking middle school. I'm talking high school. What are we doing with some of these subjects? What are we teaching in school? Why did I learn about cosine and tangents every single day? I mean, I'm a freaking expert at playing the recorder, but where in the hell would that life skill ever come into play? If I'm the best in my craft in anything, I'm going to make some money. If you're the best cheeseburger flipper in the entire world, you're going to go on some TV show, flip some crazy amount of burgers, have yourself an Instagram endorsement deal, and you're going to make some money. If you're a recordian, 
I don't care if you're the best recordian in the world and you can play hot cross buns like frickin' Beethoven. You're not going to make any money in this day and age. What are you saying? They taught you how to play the accordion in grade school? The recorder. You didn't have to play one the of those? The recorder? Did you not have music class? I mean, I'm from the West Side, dude. We didn't do music. We didn't do any of that bullet. No, we had music class. I didn't play the recording. I don't even know what that is. What is that? It's a recorder. It's like a flute. And we had to play songs with this things. And everyone, there was maybe, and that's the problem with some of these classes that they teach. They should cater classes to specific students, especially at a young age. But in the private schools, you and me, we're bougie. We're, you know, elitists. And in our private schools, everyone does everything together. You don't get to pick these classes, especially in middle school. So guess what? You're the worst musician in the world. You don't give a shit about Johann's Bach. You don't play the recorder. You don't care about the triangle. It doesn't matter. You're going every single day to music class. Yeah, I, the things that you learn in grade school, I, I can I can maybe count on like, one hand anything that was actually relevant or like prevalent to anybody's life going forward i mean you you well the thing is it's just it's just as bad in high school when you think about it like i haven't used geometry since the day i was taught it it went in one side of my brain and just slid out the uh my ear (laughs) i literally dude i we i had a whole like high school class based on imaginary numbers what what the fuck was that what they're imaginary. They don't exist. Is that right? So why am I learning about it? Unless you're going to be like a fucking astronaut, which I guess I thought I was going to be up until a couple years ago. But um, yeah, no, the, the amount of stuff you learn that is so irrelevant. And that's probably why the U.S. is like behind like Slovakia in actual academics. So that might have something to do with it. But you're right. You really learn... I mean, cursive. What What the hell is cursive? What? What? Oh, my goodness. That had to have been a throw it out that I missed because cursive handwriting. We spent about three years on cursive. Do the kids even know what that is nowadays? I, I don't know. While they're juuling? I don't think they know cursive. I mean, I think... Uh... I think it was one of those things where, like, the teachers were like, I mean, I don't know what else we can do. Because you, you learn that in, like, third grade, and they're like, we're, we got them for eight hours a day. So uh, I can only show so many Bill Nye fucking videos. I guess we're going to start making up shit for them to do and just tell them to to basically just write. Is it quicker? Is that the concept? You, you write quicker in cursive? I mean, I guess it helps with your signature down the road. But otherwise, I, I can't tell you one time I've used. Actually, I take that back. There are random days where I'll just bust out the cursive. If somebody writes you a note in cursive, they're the biggest jackass ever. Because that does happen. You'll get something. It'll be literally written in cursive. And some of the letters, you can't even tell the difference. It's like an L or a B, and it all comes down to the last, like, half a millimeter of if they put the slant, like, up or sideways, and it changes the whole goddamn word. So I can't even read it anymore, really. So I I hope they don't teach that. We'll have to interview, like, an eight-year-old on the next week's podcast and see if what they're teaching. Because I, I do. I'd like to know. I mean, I don't even know. I can name you about 47, eh, let's say about 45 state capitals. And I don't think I could show you what a Z looks like. If you said, do a cursive Z right now, draw me out a cursive Z. I don't think I could give you one. I got a cursive Z. I can think of it. 
the uppercase Z is actually throwing me off a little bit more. Is that just a regular Z? There are a few that the G, the uppercase G is throwing me off right now. I, I can visualize it, but it, it just like we said, Houdini, it's so stupid. And this is this is what some people's careers are based on. Because, you know, if you're getting a bad grade in geometry class and you can't point out what cirrus clouds are, you know, you don't get as many opportunities in life. You don't get into the same colleges. You may not get into college. It may destroy your self-esteem. And next thing you know, you're on the streets all because you couldn't pass geometry class. And you had talent to be the next Beethoven. But they didn't yeah. teach you music at this school. Something I would like say, that. yeah, well, I would. Yeah, you're right. I'd say cursive, just the whole concept of cursive handwriting. Maybe some kids didn't get it as quickly as some others. That probably right there. The unemployment rate is probably solely based on kids who couldn't understand cursive and gave up. So it's definitely something to look into. I mean, I don't know if we want to talk to some people in the Senate, things like that. I bet you there probably is like a cursive association that is still trying to push cursive. It's like the new the new way to write. And they're they're hanging on the last thread right now, going into schools like, trust me, this is the future. And they're just holding on. They, they got to sell out right now. They got to pull a blockbuster and liquidate. I just remember chorus class in high school. You had to choose between chorus, health, which which is the best part. It's like health, very important in your life, chorus or band, not so much if you're someone like me. So I got into the the chorus program, the, the Moeller High School Choir program with a bunch of my jackass buddies, and we sat in the back row, and we switched our pitches. I swear, sophomore year, I was a bass. Junior year, I decided to go baritone. And then by senior year, I was like a high tenor. Had a solo and high tenor. And it was just every single song, we'd change our voices. We'd goof off. When the class was completely silent, someone would rip out a fart. That's what people did at all boys high schools. And right across the hallway, there were people taking health, learning about their esophagus and what the endocrine system does. I mean, just complete opposites why didn't anyone think that through you would think right but we, our choice was between chorus and art so it was a little bit more uh i guess relevant or whatever both were irrelevant but you're right and, and that doesn't only stop in high school in college i learned a bunch of shit that is irrelevant too i don't i have no idea what i learned in college i literally have no clue i don't use any of it so i basically just paid like a hundred grand uh i mean don't get me wrong, Jeremy Sony's theater class, I still carry that today. So I guess that's one class that helped me move forward in my career. But uh, other than that, holy hell, it's a lot of money. I think the only thing that I remember from Jeremy Sony's theater class, great teacher, actually followed me on LinkedIn. So maybe he listens to the podcast. Jeremy, if you listen, you're a good guy. Uh, Houdini and Chuck from your freshman year theater class. I think theatron in Greek is theater or something like that. And that's the only thing I remember from that class, aside from dicking around with you guys in the back. There was a... Yeah, that really was. All you had to do was show up, and and then you just had to say, like, I love theater, and he'd be like, God, oh, that's amazing. That's an A. I think everybody got an A in that class if he showed up. That guy was a God, great teacher. I wonder what he's up to. They say half the battle in life is just showing up, and some of those classes in college are, and there are people that just can't do it. You know, They go on a Xanax bender or something, and they, they just can't get to any of those classes. And it's sad, really, because if you know the system, everyone freaks out about college. You see all these videos, and they're like, how am I going to go to college? It seems so hard. It's really not 
It's really not. You just got to meet one person in the class, keep up to date, get to the classes that you need to get to, and get what you need to get done. It's not that difficult. Now, it, to get on a roll, yeah, sure. Sigma cum laude, yeah, absolutely. But to get out of there alive, it ain't too hard. No, and and it obviously it depends on if you go to one of those you know higher end colleges that are super high on their academia, it's going to be a lot more difficult. But if you go to school like you know state schools and things like that, and people get like their engineering major or something like that, which is not the easiest thing to do. But you always assume, or at least I used to, like God, that guy's got to be a genius. No, he probably just showed up, had one guy who did all the homeworks, and then he would just literally go on a bender for 48 hours before the final exam and squeak out with a 75 and then he's an engineer all of a sudden so i mean it it ain't rocket science i'll say that no there's a system to everything you just have to know how to get it done and so many people i mean i lived in dirty south beach athens ohio where you know a lot of the the and i hate to say this but failures lived and i say failures because i'm not saying in life i'm just saying in college you know, there were about 14 people on my floor freshman year that had to go home. Probably ended up at JUCO or something like that because they could just not put it together. They could not get to class. They could not learn the system. Meanwhile, I'm having just as much fun, but there's a system, systematic game. Yeah, there certainly is. And I'm not even sure now that I said it, I'm not even sure if rocket science is that hard. Has anybody ever actually done, studied rocket science? It seems to be getting uh, – a. I wish they would say that about everybody else's major. Like, you know, shit, it's not, it's not communications. You know, it's not that hard. Time for a new segment, buy or sell. Our producer, Eric Teffer, came up with some questions to test the brain and to see the, the cohesion between the co-hosts. Number one, Stranger Things season three debuts Thursday. You buying it or you selling it? Buying. Buying that all day. I watched the... Uh, First two seasons, I don't know what what the hell is really going on anymore. Uh, seems like... Can I chime in? Yeah. Chuck's cutting in. Season two, episode one, the very opening scene. Instead of giving you Eleven or one of those kids or something, they give you some random person from the band of outcasts, and she like builds the walls with her mind. The, the walls aren't actually there, but she gives illusions to the people surrounding her. And all of a sudden, you're like, holy cow, there's a new character. They don't introduce her until the eighth episode. Elle goes out to those band of outcasts. You have no idea what's going on the whole time. They're flinging spiders around. It's all weird. And then they go back to episode nine, and they're just gone. I understand that it ties in down the road. But, I mean, couldn't the people that wrote this script have done it a little bit different? Yeah, that was a little bit out of left field, to say the least. And I, I honestly think a lot of times these guys aren't writing. They don't have it. They have the first season written out. They know how it's going to go. And then once they get renewed for you know season two, three, and four, then they start kind of just freestyling, and they don't really know where they're going with it. And then they make an episode. Because some of these shows, they'll just have an episode, and then it'll literally never have any um, – it'll never relate back to the actual show at all. It'll just be completely irrelevant. And I think a lot of times they're just getting filler episodes in there because that had I, I got to watch a recap first. Of, I don't know what the hell is going on. All this sci-fi shit, these aliens that. Well, well, he's like behind walls. There's numbers lighting up this crazy lady. Winona Ryder's running around. Well, it's just what I'm selling it, Houdini. I'm going to watch it because I'm intrigued to know what's going on. 
But I think it peaked in season one, and I think season three, it's either going to pick pick season two up, and it's all going to tie together, and it's going to hook you into season four, or it's going to be like, this show sucks. Winona Ryder, most people probably know her better from Mr. Deeds when she was that chick from Winchesterton Fieldville, Iowa. But she does a hell of a job acting like a – she's almost too dramatic. I'm like, chill out. Like, Will Will's going to be all right. He just got fucking – you know, he just ate a leech, and it turned him into an alien. Um, he likes it cold. <laughs> but – I don't know. I love the I love the season two character, the uh like the the jock, like the jacked guy with the hair who's a dickhead, the brother. He and, and he'll just be lit he literally constantly is just lifting. And the eerie music always plays when he enters the scene. So something's happening with this guy. Pretty boy's gonna tie in here soon and um maybe he turns into a monster and tries to eat the sheriff. I don't know. I wanna buy it, but I'm selling it for now. Number two, Pat McAfee will make an NFL comeback, buy or sell? Sell. Why would he? Have you seen his posts on Instagram lately? He's been going to fields left and right. Here, here's what I think. Pat McAfee's all about the story. You know, at the end of the day, he's a storyteller, and he's telling his own story right now. He made a decision to get out of the game, hop in with Barstool Sports. Obviously, that didn't work out. He's doing his own thing. He's doing well financially, I'm sure. He, he has made plenty of money in the NFL, but – he was a kicker originally, and his last big game kicking, he whiffed against Pittsburgh that would have sent West Virginia to the national championship. Shout out Alex Klauke. So Pittsburgh comes in, wins the backyard brawl. It's all on Pat McAfee's foot. He never kicks again. He goes to the NFL. He's a big-time punter. We're seeing Instagrams left and right of this guy kicking and the tag saying it's going to be one hell of a story. He's going to come back as a kicker. And he's going to kick in the National Football League, buying it. Well, well, I didn't know that at all. I don't follow Pat McAfee, but uh, now that you say that, sure, I'll buy it. I mean, he's not playing, you know, linebacker. You can pretty much. I feel like he could kick. I mean, Adam Vinatieri's what sixty six, um, so I guess you can punt or kick probably until your leg just falls off. So, sure, whatever. Well, I'll buy Pat McAfee. Make like three, three to five million dollars for literally playing soccer essentially so sure white claws buying selling i think you'd have to be an idiot not to buy everybody else is buying 100 percent of my stake white claws fantastic how are we just hearing about these things now is it something that's been around for forever and it's just being introduced in the midwest or in our circle whatever is this something that's taken the country by storm because i've seen them everywhere they're fantastic they're light on your belly they're not like a Mike's Hard to all those people out there that don't drink White Claws because they think they're some sugary beverage. It's not like a Mike's Hard where you can only drink one or two. You can pound down a, a, a few of these, low on calories, light on your stomach, and you feel pretty good about yourself. I'd have to agree. They're, I, I don't know if they – I think it was more of like the health thing that came up recently where they didn't want the – because I think Mike's Hard was trying to do that with just their sugary ass, whatever. And now people just ice people with, uh, you know, the Smirnoff ices and all that crap. Um, but they're good. And now there's like 40 different kinds of the the hard seltzers is what the, you know, the big wigs are calling it. Um, I'm a fan of it. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. They're they're a little dangerous. They're a little heavier than, uh, than even a beer. So if you start to just, because they taste fantastic. If you start to slug these down, I mean, it's almost like an adult. Four loco, you know, if you divided one by, you know, 700, that's kind of how they act. How about this one? 
Are you selling that there's no sadder fast food joint than a Long John Silver's A&W combo? I, there's no way I could sell that. I was trying to think of uh, other combinations of fast food joints. I don't even. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be combination. I'm just talking that. I, I feel like the Long John Silver's A and W combined is just a little more embarrassing than the straight up Long John Silver's. Um, I don't know. I, I'm thinking KFC. KFC lately, even though the food's pretty delicious, you never see anyone going to KFC. I mean, Chick Fil A and Popeyes and some of these other places. There's just, and I live in Kentucky, and no one eats Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's just, and it's sad. I mean, Long John Silver's, no one ever ate it. The guy that owns it's just super rich, and, you know, he likes throwing fried fish at people. I've never. Cousins are some pirates. I don't know. <laughs> I've never understood Long John Silver's at all. I mean, KFC, you're right. Nobody's ever like, God, I need to go to get a, like a fucking $5 bucket from KFC. You only really get that when you're like pulled off on a, you know, you're, you're on a road trip and there's literally nowhere else to eat. But the Long John Silver's. I mean, that is an abomination of a fast food joint. I I can But it's the only I, one of its kind to where you may have someone out there that likes fried clams and fried fish. Maybe we're not those people, but there are people that like them. KFC, KFC, they're competing against everyone. Everyone has chicken nowadays, especially Chick-fil-A. On Sundays it helps their cause one day of the week. But then you're competing against Popeyes, Lee's, Zaxby's. You want to talk about sell Zaxby's? So overrated. Anyways, go on. Whatever, whatever. K, you can say what you want about KFC. I'm not going to defend them. That place sucks too. But Long John Silver's is on just another. It's on the pedestal of just the shittiest. I mean, in Athens they had a Long John Silver's in from like four to six. They would just give you free, free food. Like you could just pull up and they would literally just give you free fried fish. That's how awful it was. People weren't going either. Still, it was free. One of the biggest fast food chains that is vastly slept on and their perception needs to change in the near future. They need to get some ads going because it's truly one of the best is rallies. Top to bottom, that's the Virginia Cavaliers of fast food. Well, yeah, I mean, if the Virginia Cavaliers looked like, you know, the inside of a rest stop's bathroom, that, that's the problem with rallies is it looks like absolute shit. Their food is incredible, but it, it looks like like the, you know, you go up there and you get your food. You just feel dirty like the. It kind of looks like a Jiffy Lube, you know, you pass it and you're like, am I going to get my oil change there or grab a burger? Yeah. And the I feel like the, the workers hands are always just covered in like, you know, you're right. It looks like a Jiffy Lube. It's like they're covered in oil or something. And you're just like, Jesus. And it. it I don't know. I've never even been inside one, but I feel like it—it it really is like the, the inside of a like a metal factory in there. It's like a thousand degrees. Everyone's sweating their ass off, sweating into your burgers. But their food and their price point is honestly untouchable. I, I really can't. That's probably the best fast food you can really find for that price. Unbelievable fries. Burgers are delicious. They have a really good value meal. Shakes, chicken wings corn dogs i mean cheese sticks whatever you want when you are looking for that delicious late night meal or for lunch you can't do anything better which makes me wonder is rallies just swimming in the cash or are they swimming in the cash and they don't need any help here or are they just missing out on an opportunity because if they went out there and like you said rebranded maybe painted their building got it in a nice blue color or something and came out and said we're no longer going to look like trash but we're going to have the same great taste. Rallies, come visit us. If they did that, I think this place would be on fire. I agree. No, I think they got room for improvement. 
Um, I could always, I'll sign on to be the director of marketing for rallies, you know, hundred K as the baseline salary. You'll find me, uh, repping rallies all day, but, uh, yeah, I think they need to do something or they can just stay where they're at and be that underground, um, you know, that hipster fast food, if you will. I agree. I think maybe the the problem with rallies might be is all that uh, the health conscious. Everybody's going that direction. And even, you know, when somebody thinks they're going to be health conscious, they go to a place that serves like, I don't know, McDonald's as they're grilled, whatever the hell, their apples and their salads that are more caloric than your typical burger anyway, but they'll go there thinking they're going to order something healthy and then they see the menu. And then at that point they can't help but to get, you know, 16 Big Macs and a 20 piece nugget. But rallies, when you think rallies, you don't think that they serve anything remotely healthy. So I think it just deters people from getting into the, uh, the old drive through lane, you know? Well, that's a good idea. You do the rebrand, you add in a, a healthy, the rallies fit kitchen option, mm. and then you get some people in there. And then they get deterred because they see the grilled chicken. They're like, eh, it looks like pretty decent grilled chicken, but I'm going to get a big Buford with bacon. Right. I, I think you don't even have to, you just have to have pictures of the items. You don't really actually have to even have the food available because no one's going to buy it. But just to think that it might be there and it could be an option for you, I think could change the game for rallies and they could start looking like, you know, being up there with the Wendy's and the McDonald's of the world. The New York Knicks, once again, got in their own damn way. And now we're talking about the Mecca. It's supposed to be Madison Square Garden. It's supposed to be Midtown Manhattan. Where's the Bright Mecca? Lights, Big City, Broadway. And instead, it's the Barclays Center off Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. That gives new meaning to congestion. Oh, no! We suck again! All right, so let's transition over to some NBA talk. Rob Schneider is right. The Knicks still stink. Kyrie and KD to the Nets just slapping that fan base right across their face. What a sad, sad day for those that called Madison Square Garden home. If you're a Knicks fan, that might be the toughest uh, toughest team to be a fan of. Out of I even come from Cincinnati, I think the Knicks, I mean, think about all the shit they've done in the last like decade. I mean, they brought in what they got mellow. They got it. They got Amari Stoudemire for like six games until his his uh, his knee like exploded, and then he all he did was soak and, which is a whole other topic. How he just takes wine baths. He just fills it up with Pinot Grigio and just dives in there and sits there for hours. But they got so they had Amari Carmelo. Then uh, then they got Phil Jackson, who was like the new guy who was going to just take over and dominate. And Jeremy Lin. You remember Jeremy Lin put up like 60 points? He was the talk of the town for a couple weeks. Yeah, Jeremy Lin was in there. I mean, that, God, that is a travesty. And then they claim. They got hyped up with Jeremy Lin. You know, that's that's how far they've dropped. Yeah. From Pat Ewing and Charles Oakley to Jeremy Lin. And then they were going to get, I mean, all signs pointed to Kyrie and KD. Worst case scenario, they get one. And instead, they got Julius Randle. Um, Taj Gibson, and uh, they got somebody else, like Wayne Ellington or something. I mean, talk about a shit show of an organization. They had a ton of money to spend. They could have gotten some of the best players in the NBA and just turned around this ship right away. They haven't been to the playoffs in about a half decade, maybe even more. 
And instead, their best player is going to be Julius Randle, who I don't think has ever even made the playoffs. That's how vital to success he is. And now he's their guy. They have him to a longer-term deal, and then they have a bunch of guys that they signed for one-year deals. So they're going to suck again. Well, how about Kawhi to the Lakers? And as the people know, as we stated at the beginning of this podcast, it is Monday night right now, so we have no idea where Kawhi is going. Rumors floating around saying L.A., maybe he stays in the six. Who knows what's going on? All I know is if Kawhi goes to the Lakers, are they a villain in your book, or are you staying up every night to watch Showtime? Well, I won't have to stay up. It'll be on the West Coast. Um, yeah, but uh, no, I'll be I'll be a Lakers fan. That, that's the LeBron might be the third option. Think about that. He'd be the third option, possibly, on a team with Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's three of the top five players you could say. Three of the top six, seven. I mean, I'm just worried about you know Woj getting that text live on air and having to change his pants because that guy has been firing off. There's nobody happier in in the month of uh, the beginning of July than than Woj. He's like Joe Lenardi during you know March Madness. It's I, I that guy. He's got that stupid smirk on his face on his Twitter avi, and he just is firing off. It's a battle between him and Sham. It's up there with the uh, Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut rivalry. Really, are the super teams getting out of control? Um, no. Short answer, no. I, I love the super teams, man. I mean. As long as it's not, as long as there's multiple and there's teams that can actually compete, like when KD joined the Warriors, who literally had the best record in the history of the NBA, I thought that kind of put a you know a damper on the NBA because I mean Jesus the the Cavaliers with just literally LeBron James and like Mo Williams were were playing the Warriors in the finals. That was stupid. But if you can get um, the East is pretty strong right now, and the West, I mean, you could say there's five or six teams going into next year that could win it. So I'll take that. I don't need like, you know, 20 teams to have the opportunity to win. I, if there's five or six that are competing and it can actually go six, seven games in a series, I'll take it. As the Raptors showed us, you clearly don't need a super team to win it all. You just have to hope the super team you're playing against has everyone injured on the roster pretty much. I'll tell you what though, everyone says that the super teams have, been there for forever and everyone that you know has the counter argument someone says oh the super teams are terrible and you say well they've been around for forever I mean you look at some of the opponents when people say the Lakers were a super team look they had Shaq Kobe and then their third best player was Clyde Sweetfeet Livingston from Holes Rick Fox they had Robert Ory Derek Fisher I mean I don't think it was the same back then you look at the opponents they took down in the finals the Sixers it was Iverson and then maybe Eric Snow, the Pacers, they had Reggie, they had Rick Smith, Rose, but I don't know. I think it's getting a little bit out of control right now, but that's what people said with the original big three in the Celtics. And at the end of the day, I look back in history and I love what the Celtics did for the game. So I think that's the underlying theme here is that even if you hate them now, at some point you're going to look back circa me 2014 Miami Heat and you love them. Yeah, I'm a super I'm a super team fan. I mean, shit, the uh the Heat lost to the what? They lost to the Mavericks, they lost to the Spurs a couple times. It's not like they were running away with it. This Golden State team was the epitome of a super team. I hated the shit out of them. I will look back on it, you know, 20 years from now and I will still hate the shit out of them, but um 
you need hate in the game. You know, you got if you got hate in your heart, you got to let it out. And I think uh, super teams kind of help that. As long as people are talking about the league, I don't see a problem. All right, as always, please give us five stars. We're at 98. We're looking to get 100. The person that gets 100 may get a little gift card to Ruth Chris Steakhouse if they write in a comment as well. It's been a while since we've received some action in the comments section, so why don't you leave your thoughts there? Also, tell your friends to subscribe. Instagram, at the Chatter Podcast. Just dropped our first skit. Yes, Houdini and I, now content creators. Maybe tag one of your friends or send a DM to one of your buddies if you think it's funny. And if you don't, just toss it a like out of pity because you feel bad for us. For Houdini, I'm Chuck. This has been The Chatter. We'll see you next week.